break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 11th of August, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show, and plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking today about the ongoing struggle in Sudan. Earlier today, a mass protest in Sudan was once again repressed with multiple forms of violence in the capital of Khartoum, something which has become par for the course in the mass peaceful protest, which have swept the African nation since the fall of 2021. When a movement emerged against a coup that was mounted by elements within the military and their allies, mainly former armed groups who had fought the previous government for years. The situation in Sudan, on the surface, is seemingly at a stalemate in a cycle of protest and repression that has been going on for many months. But taking a look at current of events, it does seem to reflect that a range of forces are attempting to move towards something of an endgame. The mass protests have continued daily in various parts of the country. The marches, referred to by participants as March of Millions, are expected to swell to a large-sized nationwide again on August 24th. The protests have put an increasing amount of pressure on the military government, who since April have been forced to lift a state of emergency and also make a clearly duplicitous but nonetheless telling claim that they want to withdraw from politics and are simply just waiting for a new civilian government to form out of the ranks of various political parties and popular forces. The military junta is between a rock and a hard place, though. They took power in 2019 after a huge mass protest movement arose against then-President Omar al-Bashir and his National Congress Party. The generals who took power in last year's coup were part of a core of the old regime that saw the writing on the wall, and rather than be swept away by a grassroots revolution, decided to chuck Bashir overboard and try to save the core of the old leadership structure, which also had a stranglehold on the economy as well. They quickly gained favor with the international community, these generals, because they rapidly embraced normalization of relations with Israel and all sorts of neo-colonial agreements with the IMF and Western powers. And to give the whole thing a fig leaf of democracy, the military initially was ruling in a transitional coalition with an umbrella of protest groups called the Forces of Freedom and Change, or FFC. However, as it became clear that this was, in fact, just a fig leaf, major elements of the protest movement, like the Sudanese Communist Party, started to break away from the FFC and protests broke out, powered by the grassroots resistance committees. Ultimately, this led the military to just seize sole power, and that's been the governmental status quo since. And since then, the junta has been in trouble, increasingly isolated within the country and angering their international backers who love their policies but wanted that fig leaf of democracy to cover their true aim of increasing Western hegemony in Africa. The political situation currently is defined by these realities. The protest movement in the street, which has proven again and again it can mobilize huge numbers, has set its baseline demands as the three no's. No to negotiations with the military regime, no to any partnerships with them going forward, and no to granting them any political legitimacy. In other words, they will settle for nothing less than the ousting of the coup forces. 
The pillars of this three-nose camp are the resistance committees and political parties like the Communist Party and the Ba'ath Party, as well as professional organizations and trade unions like the Sudanese Professional Association. And there is some overlap between all these groups within the resistance committees themselves as well. The Communist Party, the Sudanese Professionals Association, and the Sudanese Women's Union have recently formed the Forces for Radical Change, an alliance aimed at creating a more unified front to take on the coup regime. The resistance committees around the country are also working to unify their efforts around the two main charters produced by various resistance committees that contain draft roadmaps for a post-coup future. These charters, which are generally looked upon favorably by the forces for radical change, encompass the general feeling of the millions who have taken to the streets, which is an anthema to the coup regime and the so-called international community. It includes, of course, much expanded political democracy, but also significant changes in the broader socioeconomic structure as well, rejecting the various international financial deals, including with the IMF, reversing the normalization with Israel and increasing solidarity with the Palestinian people, major expansions of healthcare and education, and significant redistribution of wealth in a general sense, in terms of expanding the living standard of workers and peasants, but also in terms of the various regions of Sudan, many of which in the West and East have been traditionally more underdeveloped than the rest of the country, something also addressed in the two main charters that suggest Sudan needs a more quote-unquote developmental state policy. The forces in the street have, from the beginning, had significant leadership from women, and among the demands raised up have been various proposals to institutionalize more rights and leadership positions for women in a post-coup state of affairs. So all in all, the movement in the streets wants not just an end to the coup and formal democracy, but also more serious social and economic changes. Somewhat counterposed to these forces are the elements attempting to straddle the line a bit, including the leftovers of the old forces of freedom and change coalition and political parties like the National Oma Party, one of the largest political parties in Sudan. These forces have been participating in the protest and trying to balance rhetorical support for the movement and its goals with attempts to create various negotiating tables, many with the backing of Western powers in the United Nations. And these efforts have generally failed to reach any true consensus because ultimately there is no real possibility for an outcome to be sustainable, at least right now, if it involves forces within the military playing any real role in a governing process moving forward post-coup. The Forces for Freedom and Change plan to present a new constitutional document in the coming weeks in order to achieve greater consensus. And these forces seeking to straddle the line have been holding a number of meetings, conferences, and seminars to try to spark discussion around their various negotiated paths. And in that vein, a meeting this week of the Sudanese Bar Association was attacked by forces some say are affiliated with the former ruling National Congress Party. And these attackers were denouncing the meeting and its aims at trying to build unity around a transitional plan. And that leads us to the military and the forces around it itself. Their plans have become a bit more opaque, but it does seem that there's a lot of maneuvering going on on a range of fronts, including what appears to be an attempt by the National Congress Party to revive its fortunes and see if they can use this moment to return to power. There also does not seem to be agreement among the military's allies and former armed groups about how to move forward, with some of them rhetorically attempting to act as if they may be open to working with anti-coup forces, and others categorically rejecting any cooperation with those who have opposed the coup. There's also a new religious initiative being led by the Sufi community, which many are claiming is really a new front being opened by the coup regime, but nevertheless is trying to build a broader platform for some sort of transition out of this coup status quo. It seems slightly more likely that the military is really just biding their time a bit here, hoping something shifts in their favor. What exactly? It's not clear, but it does seem that there are no real major initiatives coming from the pro-coup forces. 
Additionally, there's been an uptick in violence in various parts of the country along tribal lines, and many have accused the coup authorities of being behind this, seeking to use a rise in insecurity as a means by which to scare the population away from the protest movement by linking that movement to chaos, quote-unquote, which then leads to violence. The preferred situation for the Western powers appears to be what is known as the quote-unquote soft landing in Sudan, some sort of agreement between a representative subset of civilian forces and the military that can prevent any real change of the neo-colonial IMF structural adjustment pro-Israel approach that these Western powers want, hence their facilitation of various attempts at creating negotiating tables between the two sides. The military is clearly seeking to increase its leverage with Western countries by flirting with Russia to a greater degree and seeking to use geopolitical means to gain more support for their positioning. There are also a few other unknowns out there. There are a subset of armed groups that have been solidarizing with the protest and have refused to participate in peace talks with the government, but they appear to be reticent to fully engage with the movement on the streets, although they have had positive-sounding discussions with the Sudanese Communist Party. The eastern part of Sudan has also played a major role in the current uprising with huge protests and blockades of the country's main port, Port Sudan, playing a key role in the general destabilization and isolation of the coup forces. The east has a strong representation from the Beja tribe in particular, whose leadership structures have played a key role in these events. And in a recent curious happening, a number of prominent Beja and other eastern leaders were blocked by the Sudanese government from entering neighboring Eritrea for a trip and potential meeting with the Eritrean leaders regarding the current situation. It isn't really 100% clear why they were blocked, and the Sudanese authorities are basically chalking it up to paperwork issues at the border, but that seems a bit less than likely. At the most basic level, one could surmise the Sudanese government may not have wanted Eastern leaders to be able to meet amongst themselves, outside of their ability, the coup forces that is, to monitor them. But one also might speculate that this has something to do with disrupting other attempts at putting forward transitional proposals. The Eritrean government sent a delegation to Sudan a few months ago to present a draft transitional plan to the government and various political forces in the country that would at least create the basis for a discussion of how things could move forward. At the time, it didn't seem to necessarily be gaining traction, but it very well may be possible that the coup forces, by blocking the eastern delegation going to Eritrea, may be trying to disrupt any progress towards a credible plan that Eritrea may be able to help facilitate. Hard to say, really, but either way, another element to watch. All in all, you can see, below the surface, the situation in Sudan may be creeping towards an endgame as various forces are seeking to tighten their alliances and coalitions, harmonize their roadmaps and approaches, and generally seek to unite enough of the population behind their versions of transitional agendas to actually move the thing beyond the coup status quo. How it all turns out, we'll have to keep watching. But one thing that seems clear is that the coup regime is going to have difficulty maintaining the current status quo. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah. Oh.